You're listening to Honest Participants Only, a Dream Days Experience podcast. Hi everyone, I've got a really good show for you today. I spoke to Jen Anderson, somebody who has experienced adenoid cystic carcinoma. I don't know if you've heard of that, it also goes by the acronym ACC. It's not a nice cancer, it's a rare one. Um, we've been friends for probably six years. Um, she lives in the States, she lives in Oregon. Obviously I'm here in the UK and her story is just amazing so I wanted to get it shared with you. Let me know what you think and feel free to reach out to Jen as well. I will warn you, there are if you feel triggered by some of the themes we discuss, then there, there is help. And if you look in the description of this podcast, you'll be able to find somewhere to start. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy. How do I describe you? What do you do? What do I do? I jokingly on my Facebook page refer to myself as a Christian, a wife, a mother, a retired homeschool teacher, and your friendly neighborhood cancer survivor. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. It, you, do you know what? It's interesting. I know a lot of people. I don't mind it. Um, and what I'll say to the listeners first, first of all, hello, Jen. So you're Jen Anderson, and I'm so sorry I should have said hello. We had already said hello, everyone, so that's what the problem is. Um, but what I'll say to you is, I noticed that you called yourself um, Neighbourhood Friendly Cancer Survivor. I don't have a problem, but lots of people tend to have, because I also have experienced cancer, lots of people tend to have a problem with the term survivor. Is that something you found? Um, I use the term warrior a lot of the time just because I feel like in honesty, any cancer experience is a battle. Um, but I think that there's some people who don't like to identify who they are with having had cancer. Like they want to keep it very separate. You know, I, I have this, but it's gone now. And I think maybe for some people, people, it's, it's mentally easier to not think of yourself as a cancer patient with the way that ACC works because of the fact that knowledgeable doctors never consider it cured. It's considered an incurable cancer. Even if you don't have any sign of disease for 20 years, we have to be vigilant and continue to do scans because it does have such a high rate of recurrence and metastases that I have had to accept that this is part of my walk. This is part of who I am. I'm a deeply faithful person. You know that. I don't believe there's mistakes. I believe God allowed this trial to be put into my life for a specific reason so that I can meet people like you and the hundreds of ACC patients that I've gotten to know. And as much as it sounds odd to say that cancer has been a blessing, it really has as far as my perspective in life. And it has enriched my life with so many people that like you and Carmenita and people that are really part of my core group of people now that I wouldn't have known without going on this journey. So it sounds odd to people when I say it, but I'm actually grateful for this aspect of my life. 
So I don't have a problem with that. I think for me, I can identify it as a part of who I am because it isn't all of me. Like I'm not just Jen, the cancer patient. I, like I said, I'm the wife, the mother, the homeschool mom, all these other hats that I've worn and I'm a cancer warrior. Can you tell us what ACC stands for? Because actually both, both your ACC and my ACC are still both very rare. So- right. <laughs> we need, we need some, some exponents, ACC one, ACC two, <laughs> we can differentiate. Mine is adenoid cystic carcinoma, which is typically found in the head or neck, but it's not technically a head or neck cancer. It's a glandular cancer. So while it's found mostly in the head and neck, it can occur in the glands anywhere within the body. So. And why, why is it such a difficult cancer to treat? Do they, they know? Well, part of the problem of course is, is that it's so rare and cancer research and funding for cancer research, just from a logical perspective, if you're going to put millions of dollars into research, you put that money into a cancer that affects millions of people. There's over half a million cancer diagnoses in the U.S. every year, and of those, only about 1,200 are ACC. So you've got the big money. Where are you going to put it? It only affects 1,000 people? No, let's go after the ones that affect millions of people, you know, because it's more better use of your funding. At first, that bothered me because I kind of felt like it's a little like saying I'm not as important. But I understand from a financial perspective why they do things that way. And the way that ACC behaves is very relentless. It's very sneaky. It doesn't spread through the bloodstream or the lymph nodes like many other cancers. One of the main ways that it spreads is that it gets into the nerves and it can sneak along the nerves and pretty much go wherever it wants because, as you know, your body is head to toe full of nerves. So if it gets to a main nerve, it can go wherever it darn well pleases to go. (laughs) And because it's metastatic, you have to keep an eye everywhere. So like my, my primary tumor was on my left hard palate. And every year I have a full head and neck MRI, as well as a full chest and abdominal CT to check my lungs, my liver and the bones in that area for metastases. So that's just my annual schedule. <laughs> yes. Um, you mentioned your where your cancer was and where, where your primary cancer started. Can you, do you mind telling us a little bit about your actual cancer story or how it was discovered? Sure. Um, as is very common with ACC especially, there's a saying in the medical community that if you hear hoofbeats, they think horses, not zebras. So for many of us, there are dozens of very benign salivary gland cancers out there. And lots of us start out with these masses or lumps and the medical community, just through their training, they know there's a one in a million chance they'll see ACC. So they see us and they assume it's something benign. I noticed my lump on my left hard palate in 2008. and I told my dentist about it. He kind of poked at it a little bit. And at that point, really, instead of curving in on both sides, the left side of the roof of my mouth curved out. But it was hard and it didn't hurt. And my dentist kind of poked at it and he thought it was just 
a bony mass. He thought that maybe the bone on that side had just always been that way. And I hadn't noticed the change because I, I'm sure it grew so gradually that you don't notice a change in your mouth unless it's a drastic one in a short period of time. Yeah. So he referred me to an ENT. He did a biopsy at the time. He only biopsied the surface. And I, in my head, I thought this, this doesn't seem sufficient but I have an added component to my medical complications in that my husband is a surgical nurse. So he works with all the doctors in town. And so in addition to that training we have to not talk back to doctors, I am also thinking don't second guess this guy who's basically a superior to your husband and his, his profession. Mm-hmm. And he's an older knowledgeable doctor. So I thought, you know what, he's the doctor. I'm just going to defer to him. So he did the surface biopsy, came back, no no sign of anything hinky. So we just, he basically just told me it's, it's nothing. It's probably just something benign. Just don't worry about it. I said, okay, fast forward five years, 2013, I'm at a new dentist's office, younger dentist, very more, uh, much more educated in oral cancers. And I just flippantly mentioned the lump on the roof of my mouth, jokingly. What was the gap between the first? Five five years, 2008 to 2013. Yeah. Thank goodness mine grew slowly. (laughs) So this ENT, the day he looked at it, was very concerned. And he said, "I'm, I'm sending you to an oral surgeon today to have them look at it. And that oral surgeon did a CT scan um at the dental offices here they have like a panorex type extra where you stand and the machine kind of goes around your face right. he had one of those but it's a, a ct type so he did that and we could see on the image that there was obviously some kind of mass there and at that point the bone on that side of my palate was paper thin like it had almost eaten away completely with the bone that was above the tumor on the roof of my mouth so he said, you need to come back in a couple days. A couple days later, I came in and they took a chunk, like the size of the tip of my pinky, all the way down to the bone, like a core biopsy. Sent it off, inconclusive, sent it to two or three more labs. And it was a whole month of kind of horsing around with different labs where, you know, medical speak of inconclusive translates to, we don't know. <laughs> so he referred me to another ENT. We were very fortunate to have a brand new younger ENT who had actually done a special fellowship in rare head and neck cancers that my husband works with at the hospital who he adores. And I went to see him and he said, I think our our best bet is probably, I think it's benign, but I think we should go ahead and just remove the whole tumor. Let's just be safe. Let's remove the whole tumor. He said, if I get down to bone and the bone looks pitted at all, that's typically a sign of metastatic tumors. and you know, let's, let's see what we're going to do. So he How goes in there. And does, at this point? I was terrified. I mean, I had had just the, you know, the core biopsy and I was like, well, that, that was not pleasant, you know, in your mouth, especially where surgery is, you can't eat, you can't talk. It's everything you do is, is impacted by a surgery to your mouth. Were you in pain? Uh, for just from the biopsy, the tumor itself had never hurt. So I'm sitting here thinking you guys have poked the bear. I was fine before. Can we just leave it alone? <laughs> But he removes the whole tumor. So, I mean, I had a about that big of a chunk down to just bone on the roof of my mouth. He put a nice graft over it. 
that was in early October of 2013. And I went back November 5th for my follow-up appointment. And my doctor is phenomenal. He is super funny, very jokey. Him and my husband are like the two stooges when we're in the room together. And he got very serious after looking at how I was healing. And he kind of just dropped his face and said, now we have to talk about pathology. And the second that came out, heart in my stomach, I was like, oh no, this just got real. And I still, to this, it was very fuzzy. I, all I remember are the words incurable metastatic cancer. You will have this forever. You will have to be monitored forever. And you will have to go and have a bigger surgery. See, before he did his surgery, I was afraid that if he saw any pitting in the bone, he said, I may have to take, you know, a little chunk of that bone out. Well, now he's telling me goodbye to the left half of the roof of your mouth and part of your upper jaw. And I was just processing the fact that they can do this to human beings and they still live lives. How does that work? So within two weeks, you know, you know how it is, I'm sure with your diagnosis, it's a whirlwind. You're doing all the things you have to do, but you're in survival mode and you're kind of just going through the motions because it's like being thrown on a battlefield. You just become a robot and you do what you have to do Absolutely. and you process later. Yeah. So within two weeks we were, because this cancer is so rare and there's only about 120 doctors in the country that deal with it, we had to travel six hours to a doctor in Northern Oregon and Portland who has dealt with ACC before, set up the surgery plan. And because the surgery would include removing my entire left hard palate, every tooth from my canine back, so all my teeth and an inch of my maxilla above that. So I had just a gaping hole up into my left sinus cavity. They put in a prosthetic at the time of surgery and literally screw it into the other side of the roof of your mouth while you're healing. And once you've healed, you have a prosthetic for life that, that pops in and out, sort of like a retainer, but right. with a big chunk of acrylic that goes up into that gap so that your speech sounds normalized and not nasally. So December 12th, we had to go back up and, you know, so in a, you know, end of August was the first dentist appointment. Surgery was October. Second surgery was in December. And within this four month span, it went from life is fine to suddenly this is real it's it got really real yeah <laughs> so we had i had the surgery and we had to stay in portland for a few weeks because it's such a big surgery i didn't want to drive you know hundreds of miles home and then need have a complication and have to turn around and go back so we stayed in portland and it's my husband and i we laugh because our lives have always been full of trials and everybody has trials, but our trials, it almost feels like, you know, they say, be careful if you pray for patience because God will give you tests. Yeah. You know, we got, we got married and my, my grandfather died on our honeymoon. And so we bought our house and the day we closed escrow on our house, right after getting married, my husband was laid off from his job. And so, you know, I get this cancer and uh, right before the first surgery, my husband was in a car accident and his back was hurting, but he was very focused on me because clearly I was a priority. So he was kind of like sucking it up because we got to do you right now and had my surgery and we went to leave Portland to come home a few days before Christmas. And we got about 10 miles outside of Portland and he collapsed at a gas station and couldn't pull his legs. And we had to call an ambulance. 
<laughs> so thank goodness I brought my children with me, despite people saying, leave them home. It'll be cheaper to get a smaller hotel. And I'm like, no, I'm having cancer surgery on Christmas and my babies are coming with me because I know spiritually, mentally, I need that. How and old so are you she was my daughter was 19 and my my son was 12. Okay. So thankfully my my 19 year old daughter suddenly was our driver and had to get us home from Portland, you know, cuz dad was doped up from the ER and I was doped up from surgery 12 days earlier. So we got back to our home in Southern Oregon and Christmas Eve he had to have emergency back surgery. So 12 days after my surgery, he had surgery. Wow. And I'm like, you know, you don't have to be jealous of the attention yeah. I'm getting. There are, there are other ways. I to do you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we just we've learned to laugh over the years at these things because life is full of these things. So I couldn't even drive him to have the surgery. His mom had to take him out to the hospital, and when he left the house, I gave him a kiss and I gave him a hug, and I said, "Well, babe, I hope it goes well. I'll either see you later, or I'll see you later." Yeah. And we kind of just laughed, you know, and that's how we roll. <laughs> We went through that and thought, you know, okay, this is it. We're going to just move forward. But almost immediately, I started having issues with the prosthetic. And the nearest doctor who could work on the prosthetic is three hours away. So I was making almost weekly trips overnight to a town three hours away to have this prosthodontist, is what they're called, make adjustments to my prosthetic because it would leak. And, you know, if you're eating or drinking and things are leaking into your sinus cavity, for starters, the, the queen will never be inviting you to tea because <laughs> nose runs all the time. And it, it's painful. And so I spent about three months, four months, back and forth, back and forth, all this money to hotels and appointments. And then I started getting a burning feeling and we figured out I was developing an allergy to the acrylic that wow. the prosthetic was made out of. And I'm like, really? Come on. So around April of 2014, we decided we can't leave it this way. And I arranged to have reconstructive surgery in September of that year. And so we went back to Portland again in September of that year. And they did an 11 hour operation where they took the outer layer of my left radius and my forearm, my entire radial artery and tissue from that arm. And they rebuilt the bone and tissue and grafted my radial artery into my face to give it a blood supply. So long surgery, feeding tube, long recovery, but I'm very happy I did it. Quality of life wise, I am much happier without dealing with the hassle of the prosthetic after all this time. And I was fortunate because most of the time, the standard of care with ACC is major surgery, followed by radiation to mop up any stray cells. And then, you know, you go from there. Because I'd had that first surgery to remove the entire tumor, when my doctor did the maxillectomy and removed all the bone, he didn't find a single stray cell of ACC. And he tested my trigeminal nerve and everything. And he said, you've got this giant space that we've carved out. I can't in good conscience suggest that we radiate perfectly healthy tissue because radiation to the mouth has so many detrimental long-term side effects of no saliva and dental issues and loss of taste. And he said, you know, if it comes back, it'll be a given that we have to do radiation. But at this time, I think we're better off not. And that turned out to be a huge blessing because the likelihood of grafts taking 
if I had had radiation would have been much lower because radiated bone and tissue and vascularity are obviously compromised mm. when you've shot it with radiation. So I healed up very nicely from the surgery and you know, I've got a weird arm. I've got a big chunk out of my arm and I, I tell everybody it's my Nemo fin because <laughs> I, I can't open jars or anything. It's like having a toddler hand on that side, you know, my 16 or oh, 17 year old son. Now he's the one opening jars for me because my grip is comical, but mm -hmm. I'm alive and I can talk and I can eat. And when I drink my coffee, it doesn't come out my nose anymore. So <laughs> yay to little victories, you know, coffee is live. <laughs> Well, it's weird that you would you would you would say that because one of the things I noticed, I'll, I'll tell everybody that we met via one of many cancer groups that are on Facebook for support, and we didn't even meet. We met in a very organic way, so it was a bunch of people who would just comment on things and have conversations and that kind of thing. Um, and then I think friend requests were submitted between a couple of us. So I think I'm friends with you and two other people from that group, no one else, but we're, we're kind of very active. And I, what I notice is that you are a real presence on Facebook, for instance, which is where I see you or on um, Instagram. What I wanted to mention about that is your character, your, your presence is always so positive and uplifting and jovial and just authentic and I just I've always found that to be extremely extremely moving because I don't know you not met you 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 live in or Oregon mm -hmm. I live in the UK we've never met in that way yet we converse on on posts and about Game of Thrones and all sorts of important things it's a beautiful thing. There's so many people that want to knock social media, but I think what a huge blessing it's been in my life. I have these people that I don't consider you just an online friend. You're a friend. I feel the same way. I, I feel I know your character from the way I see you and I'm thankful. I have this huge community now that's been open to me, not just people in my backyard. Do you find that with your character though, with being such a person who is just so open and welcoming, do you find that people gravitate towards you for that type of support because of your experience your lived experience of losing something in life you become that person who can say something that just yeah is a perspective i hope so i i think obviously just like there's different ways people deal how we deal there's also people who have different needs when it comes to comfort and when it comes to what they want there are people who when they have a problem they want to complain maybe they want to be negative and sometimes I could be irritating because I could be the hey they cut one leg off but you got the other one you know <laughs> there's always a silver lining you know I mean I really feel like my husband and I came up with a motto five years ago that you're either growing through your trials or you're suffering in vain and I firmly believe that. And it's not always easy. I, I had plenty of days, of course, where I wasn't jovial and I wasn't positive and I just wanted to cry and kick my feet and say, why me? It's not fair. Of course. But I don't stay there for long because I realize it doesn't change the situation for one. And all it's going to do is steal joy from my life. And I 
whether I'm here for five years or 50 more years, I intend to experience as much joy as I can. I believe that's God's desire for us is to love everybody and experience love and be kind to other people. And I'm going to spread that kindness as long as I'm capable of doing so. So I offer my support in the way that I do, but I also have learned to not take it personally. If my particular style of comfort isn't what people need. And I understand that I had a friend that just posed, I have a friend that poses the greatest philosophical questions on Facebook. And she asked something about, you know, why do you think some people are so determined to be negative? And I said, it's such a good question. I said, because there are those people in life. And I realized I probably was part of that group before cancer. And I look back now and realize, oh girl, some of that stuff you thought was big deal is super insignificant. That's powerful. How did cancer change your perspective then? Hugely. How can it not? You know, when you're suddenly faced with mortality in a way that, of course, we all, everybody logically knows, none of us are getting out of here alive. We're all going to die. Some of us just know, well, statistically, odds are I'm not going to necessarily live to be 90. And I probably know what might be the thing that takes me out. So you feel like your clock has always been ticking, but it's suddenly ticking a lot faster. And you're not going to waste the energy or the time or your heart on cancerous attitudes, you know, of negativity. You know, I've, I've had people tell me, you know, I have this physical malady or I was diagnosed with this and it's, it's the worst thing in the world. It may, may as well be a death sentence. And I think, did you say that to me? Like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> Let's back up the train a little bit. You have a condition that isn't fatal, that is very treatable. We live in a great day and age where there's medicine and wonderful things to help you live a fully long life with your ailment. Is it inconvenient? Sure. Everybody has struggles, though. There's nobody that's born and lives their entire life free of any kind of struggle. Mm -hmm. We each get our own struggles. And so I realize now the things I used to allow myself to get worked up about, I don't anymore. And, you know, there was a saying someone said years ago about when someone is spouting their negativity, it's like a dump truck going down the street and dumping garbage. And you can either choose to ignored or you can bring that trash into your home and I don't bring the trash into my home anymore my home is going to be a happy place a positive place and if you want to be negative I'll pray for you and good luck with that and I will offer you my advice as much as I can but I'm not going to lay down my head at night on my pillow and own your problems because I can't only you can fix you and make you happy and if you decide like I did a few years ago that my happiness isn't going to be dependent on other people anymore. I know it can only come from God and it can come from myself and what the choices I make. And it's amazing what a weight that was lifted from my shoulders when I quit depending on anybody else for whether I got to decide this is a good day. Yeah. I talk a lot about protecting my peace. And for me, protecting my peace includes staying away from something that I know will drain my energy. I used to feel very obligated. The word obligation was big for me. I felt very much like 
if anybody needs anything, I have to be the one to do it for them. And I still have a very generous spirit in the sense that if I can help you, I absolutely will, but I can't do it to my detriment. And so I've, I'm sure you've experienced this, that before your diagnosis, there were probably people that you thought a thousand percent would be your ride or die people. If, if, you know, push comes to shove, these are my girls, these are my boys, these are the people that I know are going to be my tribe. And chaos and a health crisis like this really, as the Bible says, separating the wheat from the chaff, that it has done that with relationships, with blood relationships, with friends, people I've known my whole life. There were people that I've been there for that I expected would reciprocate that are, they ghosted me. They're gone. They just, and I don't blame them. I realize everybody handles things differently. And for them, this may have been too much for them. And so they had to, to protect their peace. They had to step back. But I realize and recognize that God has always opened another door where he's shut one. And you, my other cancer people, those voids have been filled by people who are probably better equipped to help me on this journey because they understand it. Yeah. You know, if you've had a splinter, I'm sorry, you're not going to understand what I've been through. It's totally not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes I'm people... Sure you've had that where people say, oh, I totally get what you're going through. You know, I had, I had some minor surgery years ago, so I know exactly what you went through. And it's like, yeah. no. I've had, I've had people who I will see a year later and who will say something like, oh my gosh, you're still sick. You don't understand that my life has forever been changed. And therefore, I may be this way forever. And so for you to right. say still is a real knock to my confidence or it used to, it used to right. take away my power in a way that I was, you know, and, and that's, again, I wonder if this is why we connect in the way we do because everything you're saying, I've said and I've lived. Everything I may say at some point, you will you'll be nodding your head the way I am, you know? Well, how about this one? Have you had the... Well, you're better now. Why don't you just get over it? Oh, no, you didn't. Like, <laughs> you really just tell me to get over life-altering diagnosis. Yeah. We are speaking a different language. And I there's those little things people say that I've learned to just I don't know why they're saying it. They don't understand how offensive it is. Just like one of my other big pet peeves is so-and-so lost their battle with cancer. That one just rubs me wrong. And I know people always mean well, but I feel like it wasn't a fair fight. They didn't lose anything. Believe me, they fought as hard as they could. And their battle has ended. They're at peace now, but they didn't lose anything. Yeah. They've gained a victory with God. That's it. They didn't lose anything. Absolutely. I don't think any of us are losers. So as a person, are you glass half empty, glass half full, or are you just grateful for the glass? Probably glass half full and grateful for the glass you know yeah what are the first three things people tend to notice about you well physically now of course i've got what i call my jack-o-lantern smile because i've got teeth missing past you know when i smile big and i smile a lot you know i'm not gonna be one of those people that stops smiling just because i've changed i'm gonna smile unless you give me reason not to. So I'm sure people notice that. They notice my Nemo fin. 
but what people say they notice a lot of times about me is my sarcasm. I'm a, I'm a super sarcastic person. I, I find that humor is such an, an incredible tool to survive this stuff. I mean, even when I was in the hospital sur- recovering from these surgeries, I was watching comedy movies on my phone because I thought, you know, laughter is literally a medicine. You know, studies have shown that if you laugh, that if you stay positive, you heal faster. Mm. And so, you know, and hey, with the drugs post-surgery, you know, comedy is even funnier. <laughs> so I'm in there, I'm in there watching Christmas vacation and stand-up comedy things. And my nurses were like, wow. I'm like, hey, I'm here. I may as well be laughing. And so people tend to notice my sense of humor and my sarcasm. So is there anything you wish they noticed when they first see you? Hmm. That's a good question. I hope what people will notice is that when I tell people that I care, that it's genuine, that it's not trite, that I don't tell people I'll pray for you and then not do it. Or I really care, or I'm really sorry you're going through this. I'm very empathetic. And if I tell someone, Oh, this, this hurts me to see you hurting. I mean it. I'm going to think about you. I'm going to pray for you. You're going to be on my mind. And if I say, I got you, I got you. I love that. I absolutely love that. So what was the dream before cancer? The dream. Really, I, as far as like big dreams go, the only dream I've had for a long time is to go back to Italy. I was fortunate enough to live on a little island in the Mediterranean when my daughter was a baby. Um, My ex-husband was in the Navy and we got to live on a beautiful island in the Mediterranean for a couple of years. And I moved back to the States in 1996. And since I've been back, pretty much my only big bucket list dream is is to get back there and when I got my diagnosis obviously that shifted and while I'd still like to go back my immediate thought was let me be here long enough to see my babies get married and have their babies and I've got one down my daughter got married almost three years ago and that was a big day realizing hey I got to be here for one wedding and there's one to go. My son is almost 18, so hopefully not for a few years. <laughs> but, you know, I look forward to that now. I embrace that stuff. You know how it is. It, it changes. You know, my diagnosis came six months before my 40th birthday, and I'm guilty, as most women, of having spent most of that year bemoaning the fact that I was going to turn 40. And yeah. going, ah, I'm going to be 39 again. I'm not going to be 40. You know, can we just count backwards and this changes you, you know, looking at the statistics of ACC where, you know, at 15 years, less than 40% of patients are still alive. I embraced 45 last week. And I thought, I look forward to 50. I hope I get to see 60. I can't wait to be 70 or 80 and wrinkled and be a grandma and look like a raisin. That's I'm down. Yeah. Give it to me, God. Let's do it. Yeah. I hugely co-sign that. So how do you celebrate successes? Honestly, gratitude. I just, gratitude is a big thing for me. I think gratitude helps you keep a good perspective. So I have to do my scans every so often and that anxiety monster creeps up every time I do those. But once I get my clear report, I say, you know what? 
it's time to put the cancer back in the drawer. It goes back in the back burner until the next scan. It doesn't run my life. And we try to just live each day to the fullest. And we've had to make the most of things, you know, physically, I'm not in a place where I can go climb mountains and do lots of things that I could have done a decade ago. But we enjoy the little things we can do if it's just going on a walk or going to the movies. We go see lots of movies. That first year I was in so much pain. All I could do was watch movies and we saw so many movies that year. But you know what? It was something to distract us and laugh. And, you know, when you, even Game of Thrones, you know, you, you have your things that you get into that are fun to just talk about and share and have in common with other people. So we just enjoy our time together really you mentioned when your scans are coming up the feeling of you know nervousness and anxiety how do you how do you manage that or do you have anything specific that you do to help you to manage it i really for the most part i just pray and give it to god and and tell myself I can never get rid of all the anxiety, but I remind myself that no amount of worry is going to change what the results will be. And it's funny because it's always leading up to it that I'm anxious. Like once I go in to have the scan, I'm fine. And even while I'm waiting for the results, I'm fine. For whatever reason, it's the buildup to the day that I'm going to go do it, that I, I get the skin anxiety, you know, they call it. And, but it, I figure the results aren't going to change. So I try to just, I try to do, I do a lot of keeping myself busy. I pray, I go to my group, I let my group know, hey, we, a lot of us let each other know, hey, the scans are coming up and we all know what that means. You know, we need prayers for the anxiety that comes along with those scans every six, 12 months. And so I just go along for the ride and I'm grateful when the results come back good. So that, that, Obviously, you were speaking about scanxiety and, and the everybody in the community understanding that. But you said something that I really picked up on. You have anxiety up until the scan. When you go in, you're fine. Waiting for the results, you're fine. That stuck out to me because... It didn't <laughs> used to be that way. I think it's because a lot of my anxiety comes from a, a lack of control. That's where I have, I've had anxiety issues for years because I was in a really bad car wreck years ago, like a triple rollover accident. So, I mean, I get in a car and if I'm not behind the wheel, I'm extremely anxious and I'll be that passenger you hate who's grabbing onto the door. And, you know, it's my husband years ago accepted it's better to just let me drive because otherwise backseat driver, hundred percent. So it's the lack of control. And I think going up to the scan and not knowing, you know, I don't know why, but the first few scans, I was a wreck. Like I had to wait about 24 hours for results. And I was so nervous that I was like literally physically sick to my stomach and something just clicked after the first couple scans. And I've realized that once I've done the scan, nothing's going to change with what that result is going to be. And so I, I try to just say, let's just move on. It may be different if I were having symptoms and I knew in the back of my mind that something was up I'm sure it would be very different but I I really don't at this point I kind of just go well let's just see what it is and I've been very fortunate that my doctors are very good about they call me within a couple hours usually of my scans with results so I don't I see some people having to make appointments and waiting two weeks that might really change it for me but I know 
by the time my scan is done that night before I go to bed, I'm probably going to know my results and okay. it's not going to be a long-term thing. So that makes it easier. I think. <laughs> I know that this interview, um, we've focused a lot on the cancer because I think it's, first of all, we want to raise awareness. Second of all, it's you, it's part of your story and it's a powerful experience that you've had, but I kind of want to move a little bit away from that because I want you to also be known as a real person, as a person outside of your lived experience of cancer. Um, sure. And that's, you mentioned all the things that you were at the top and we've spoken, you mentioned your children, you mentioned your husband, you mentioned some of the other experiences that you've been through. Um, and I just want to, I want to ask you, well, it's still an ACC question, but it's more about you as a person do you feel that having ACC and you kind of answered it in a roundabout way earlier because you spoke about the way almost seeing it as a blessing do you feel that ACC because I've got a tag on question that isn't about the cancer by the way okay do you feel that ACC has stolen anything from you hmm oddly no I don't, I try not to look at it that way because I think we're all going to be given trials in our life. And I think if ACC stole something from me, it was something I wasn't supposed to have anyway. So it, I'm sure, you know, physically, obviously it has changed some things that I'm able to do, but I think it's probably given me a lot more than it's taken from me. Okay. So the tag on question about you, not the cancer. Get over there, cancer. <laughs> um, what other substantial or life-changing things have you had happen in your life? So uh, you mentioned the car accident, but that's, again, that's a trauma. What's like buying your first house, passing your driving test? Like, what things stand out for you, really stand out? Oh, goodness. As far as things I think probably have at least shaped me that were significant, probably moving to Italy was one of the top ones for me. It That was my first big experience in changing perspective. Like we talked about, you know, I moved over there as a young 20-something mom. And, and I'll admit, I think most of us are probably guilty of this. Born and raised in America, used to the things that I have easy access to moved to this little island in the Mediterranean, you know, in the mid-90s, way before everybody had internet, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. And I was suddenly, I was the foreigner in a foreign land, and I didn't speak the language. And I found myself having to humble myself to ask people in grocery stores simple things like, hey, where's the toilet paper? You know, these are, these are important things, and I don't even know how to ask you where do I buy them. And so I, I had to learn to submerge myself in a culture, to respect another culture, that the things that they live without, they're not suffering without them. It's just different. And I'm just a spoiled American who thinks our way is the only way on the planet. And I didn't realize how much it changed me until I came back to the United States. And I would hear people in a store overhearing someone speaking another language and why can't they just speak English? And I think you have no idea what it's like to be the person that 
doesn't speak the native language. And on top of that, we have the most complicated language for someone to learn as a second language because we have, you know, 5.3 million rules that all have exceptions and times we don't follow them. Just come to the UK, that gets worse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thankfully, I speak fluent UK as well. (laughs) A friend that lives there, so... It, but, you know, it, it made me realize this planet's big and my little microcosm that I was raised in isn't the most important, isn't the best, isn't the anything. It's just what I'm the most familiar with. And there's a lot of beauty out there to embrace that is different than my my beautiful, but it's still just as beautiful. Yeah. So I, I loved it. The people there were much more my speed. Everybody's laid back there. It was foreign, you know, in America, I'm sure... The UK is the same where everybody's in a hurry. Everything is now, 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 now. Everybody feels entitled to now. Something breaks, you better fix it today. Over there, something breaks, and the word for tomorrow is domani. Mm-hmm. Everything can be done domani. Everybody, all the shops close for four hours in the afternoon for siesta. Like, we're doing it wrong in America. I want nap time in the afternoon. It's hey, you know, everybody, let's get on this bandwagon because we'd have a lot less people on blood pressure medications and antidepressants. And instead of patching up our problems with pills, we could actually be enjoying our lives. Yeah. Okay. So you win in terms of patching people up. I mean, I don't know if that's where you'd go, but you win a billion pounds on the lottery tomorrow. What are the first three things you do? First, I'd figure out how much that is in dollars. (laughs) Okay, sorry. You win a billion, <laughs> billion dollars, of course. <laughs> I'm so lazy. My my best friend for 20 years is British, and I still to this day always ask, "How much is that in dollars?" And he converts it for me because I'm just, I'm a plonker. I don't know. I just I haven't. I don't know why I can't keep up with exchange rates. Boy, if I had that kind of money, first and foremost, of course, I would probably pay off all our debts from cancer. I would set a lot of money aside for the ACCRF. It's the only research foundation out there dedicated to doing research for ACC. So I would throw a lot of money at that. I would probably, see, this is why I'll never be rich, because God knows, it'd be gone fast. I'm I'm not going to be, you know, I'm going to stick it in the bank and live off the interest. I would be asking all my friends, what do you need? What, What can I do to ease your burdens, you know? pay for college for my friends' kids, things that long-term will have a trickle-down effect that their kids will benefit from it down the road. You know, not a Lamborghini, but let's pay for your kids' college. Let's pay for a comfortable house. Let's help your grandmother be in a a nicer nursing home or have in-home care instead of a nursing home. And, And of course, I'd go to Italy. I'd buy a place there and I'd invite you and all my friends to come stay with me in Italy. We'd be partying it up over there always say as well to my friends yeah god's not he's not planning on making me rich because i've got too many things that i'm planning on doing with it but i i do love that um who or what do you now focus your energy on god first and foremost my faith um my family i put a lot of energy into you know my daughter is married and she's moved out and she's doing her own thing now but i do have my husband here and my son who He's in college full-time already, and he's hoping to transfer to a school in Florida next fall. So I'm, I'm realizing that time is, time is short with him. He'll be leaving the nest before I know it. And so I, I try to really focus on 
his things that he's into, you know, he's, he's almost an 18 year old boy. So his things are different than my things. But when he comes to me and he opens up and wants to talk about the things that he's into, I try to give him as much time as I can and just listen. Cause I know in a couple of years, I'll be wishing he was here telling me about whatever he's into this week and he's wicked smart. So it's usually something that is above my pay grade, but I learned from him. So He's very into geography and, and the history of politics and just brainiac kids. So I just try to soak it all in. Mm-hmm. And and I spend a lot of time on my, my ACC people, too. They really are the other part of my family. So there's not a day that goes by that I don't touch base with everybody and see how everybody's doing. And right now, especially Carmenita, she's, you know... She's, she's my, we call each other our brain twins. The two of us, I swear, have identical brain waves. We finish each other's thoughts and sentences. Absolutely love that woman. Like she's my sister and, you know, she's had a secondary cancer come up right now. And so she's doing some hardcore chemo and it's really beating her down, but her faith always amazes me too. She's keeping positive through it, but so I'm trying to just stay in touch with her and be her cheerleader as much as I can. I know she'll get through it. She always does. If anybody can, she will. But trying to just encourage her to just, you know, keep your eye on the prize. Yeah, if I'm honest, that's how you can see someone's true character, their authentic character, because even with everything she's going through now, she's exactly the same person. Apart from, obviously, she's going through something. She's the same character that she was before. Someone who's able to joke and... She, she, you know, I know we talked about my positivity, but I feel like I have so much to learn even from her because she is, she's mastered that in a way that few people can and her physical scars from ACC are so much more than mine, but it, it, she, it doesn't bother her. She has learned to just look at it as an opportunity to educate people. If people stare, let them ask questions. You know, everything's an opportunity to spread the word and spread awareness. And she's, she's just amazing. She's incredible. I just love her dearly. Honestly, you're both real blessings. I want to move to something slightly more kind of upbeat, but it's a quick fire round. Okay. So it's just Uh The first thing I heard this on the other podcast, and I'm like, man, what's she going to ask me? I can't, I can't cliff notes this because I don't know what's going to come out of her mouth. <laughs> okay, so we have got. What's the last movie you watched? What did I watch? I just watched something. Oh, The Help. I watched The Help yesterday. My friend that's in the UK that I spoke about, um, he's fairly housebound because of he's got disability issues and stuff, and so. We've been friends for 20 years and several times a week we call each other on Messenger and and have phone conversations and we'll watch a movie together. Like we'll queue it up together and talk. Done this for years. We have TV shows. We've watched Supernatural since the very beginning together and he'd never seen The Help. And so yesterday we watched The Help together and he loved it. You know, she showed up with the pie and I was over here going... Just, just wait till you find out. This is this next one's a silly one. I know it's a quick fry round. It's so silly, but I'm asking anyway. Game of Thrones or not? <laughs> uh, duh. The North remembers. <laughs> Valor Margulis, of course. Uh, okay, tell us a secret. Well, I tell you, it's not a secret anymore. <laughs> a secret that most people don't know about me. I was on 
a children's television show when I was four years old for an entire week. We had a show here in America called Romper Room, where they had a preschool teacher and different kids each week. You know, a group of kids got to be on there and me and a girl I'm still friends with today were on it in November of 1978. And I was the one that got in trouble constantly for not doing what I was told. Shocker. But that was my claim to fame. I was a TV star for a week. Nobody remembers me or asked for my autograph, but... What do you want? I love these open-ended questions <laughs> something so trivial or something deep and i won't say world peace <laughs> okay um i want first and foremost on a serious note i would love a cure for cancer all cancers not just acc i would love someone to come up with a vaccine or a pill or something that cures cancer um but i would also i would i want people to learn that they don't have to be victims of their circumstances in life that whatever your circumstances are you can still have fun you can still live a life and have fun and enjoy it and laugh you can laugh no matter what or look at us yeah no matter what no matter, no matter what has been thrown at us maybe we need a padded room but we're laughing regardless because <laughs> i'd rather laugh and cry milkshakes banana or strawberry you asked this before and i gotta tell you a secret banana milkshakes not really a thing here really never see, never, never see banana milkshakes here it's chocolate vanilla or strawberry usually but i think it sounds good <laughs> i have personally at home i've made peanut butter banana milkshakes that's my homemade favorite. I would totally go for the banana. Um, comedy or love? Comedy. Sorry, husband. <laughs> I you know that would be my answer too. I am. I am not the romantic in right. our relationship by a long shot. iPhone or Android? Android. Okay. Favorite food? So hard to pick. I love <laughs> pizza. I love good pizza. And as you know, I've, I've been keto for a year, so I haven't had regular pizza for a very long time. Um, same color. I really like bright colors, like bright pink, bright coral. I'm, I'm not subtle. Shocking. <laughs> Do you know what ASMR is? You know, you you asked this on the on the other <laughs> podcast, and I was like, I gotta I gotta figure out what it is. And you explained what it was, and so I, I know what it is now, but I didn't before. I had heard the term, but then when you explained it, I thought, oh, that's interesting that there's actually a word for that. Um, your worst days consist of hands down. My worst days consist of the days when I wake up and find out that we've lost another warrior happens far too often and it never gets any easier you'd think you know that you could get used to it after a while but you really don't you know i i deeply care about these people that i i grow these genuine relationships with and it's very difficult to watch people pass away especially the younger ones we've lost quite a few in the last couple of years who are 20 something moms you know single moms and that devastates me. I'm, I'm a very empathetic, emotional person in that sense. And as a mom, I think 
those babies lost their moms. That to me has got to be possibly the worst thing a child can experience is the loss of their mom. So those are my worst days for sure. Your best days consist of? My best days consist of sunshine, warm weather, good reports, you know, finding out that scans were clear for myself or my ACC friends. You know, we all celebrate when when scans are clear. Days when I don't have a lot to do. I like the days when my to-do list isn't so long that I wonder how I'm fitting everything in. I love days now where I can, I have the time to go to the gym and get on a treadmill for a half an hour and walk it out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Is there a song, this is the last question in this section, is there a song that kind of accents your whole experience? I've never really contemplated it before, but one that comes to mind right now that's, that's a big one that I, it's on my playlist a lot right now. My husband's into it. Is Lauren Daigle's? Um, I forget what it's called. What you say to me or whatever. It's. Oh, it's I know that cool. one. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful song, and I and I think yeah, it's so true. You know, I I really like the lyrics to that one. So. Okay, last two sections. One is going to be word association, and then we're going to be moving across to something called Letter to Myself. I know that you would have heard it on the other podcast, but it's not as nerve-wracking as it seems. I'm lying, it probably is, but I don't have to do it. So <laughs> And cue the anxiety. <laughs> so word association is really easy. All you have to do is say what comes to mind when I say these words. It can be a word and it can be or it can be a sentence it's, it doesn't have to be deep it's just whatever comes to mind so Deal. the first word is honesty trust providence faith hope christ perspective Positive. Wisdom. Experience. Life. 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 A blessing. Wonderful. So, this is Letter to Yourself. The instructions are simple. You're writing a letter to either your future or your past self. What does it say? The only rule is start your letter dear jen dear jen past jen especially you aren't what other people say you are you know who you are other people's opinions of you don't make up the reality of who you are you're much more capable than you give yourself credit for or than other people have given you credit for You're stronger than you think you are. You're kind of a badass. You can survive just about anything. Um, Don't let the haters hold you back. If people walk out of your life, it's okay. Let them go. Is that enough? <laughs> yeah, no, of course. How would you sign? How would you sign that off? I wanted to make sure that I was giving you enough time to. <laughs> <laughs> How would I sign it? ACC Warrior Jen.
I love that. Where can people find out more about ACC? Um, first and foremost on Facebook, we have a group called ACC Warriors Family and Friends that you can find by searching and just answer a few questions and we'll let you in. On the internet, if you wanna find out more about what ACC is, there is www.accoi.org. That's the ACCOI organization. And then there's the ACCRF, the ACC Research Foundation is at www.accrf.org. Is there anyone that you would like to dedicate a song to and what song would it be? I feel like this just, just brought me back to the 80s and calling in the radio station in junior high school. Um, how about Survivor, Gloria Gaynor for Carmenita? She's my girl. Thank you so much. This has been a Dream Days Experience production.